Good morning. Thank you for being here. Sorry, I should have started a bit louder. <laughs> then it didn't blast you when I started going loud all of a sudden. Good morning. It's so lovely that to have everyone here on a rainy morning. I know uh, I was very tempted to stay in bed this morning, but that wasn't going to happen. So, <laughs> uh, so here we are. No, it's really, really good. Good to be with you. So I'm going to be speaking on um, Galatians 1 verse 18 to 2 verse 10, which is quite a chunk. Okay, so, uh, so yes, and what I'm wanting to focus on there is preaching a gospel of grace, God's people and God's process, God's people and God's process. All right, so I'm going to start by doing quite a bit of reading just to get a picture of all of this, pointing out some things in between as we go, and then, uh, and then I'm going to pull out some, some extra nuggets that I've, that I've found uh, in this spot, and uh, when, as the preaching team, we were sitting together, kind of dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, we were, uh, I, I mentioned something about Galatians 2 verse 1 being one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, so Steve said, okay, <laughs> here you go, so uh, you'll get a moment to see why Galatians 2 verse 1 is one of my mostest, favoritest verses in the whole Bible. Anyway, so thanks Richard and Mark for, uh, for bringing uh, words in the last, last two weeks that we can then build on that. And I think that's one of the fun things about going through Galatians is that uh, we, can, we can build on, on the words that have come before and get a really wonderful picture of, uh, of this whole book. One of the most fascinating things about this letter is that it has some of the most autobiographical detail of Paul writing about himself. Uh, so we get some details about Paul's life from Acts, and I really would recommend that you read through Acts 10 to about 16, 17, especially as we're going through Galatians. It can really give some, some incredible context. Uh, and, but here we, we have a wonderful sense of uh, Paul speaking about his own calling uh, in a way that we don't see in many of his other letters. Also, another fascinating thing about Galatians is that there's a lot of debate about exactly when it was written. Was it before the Council of Jerusalem or after the Council? How many visits were there exactly and who was visiting who? And did Titus go with on this time? Did Barnabas? And I've had a look at all of those. I have some ideas as to, to where I'm fitting in with those. But what I've got to say today really doesn't ride on those details. Uh, and so I'm not going to, to touch on them too much. Um, there's a lot that we can't be sure of, but there is a lot that we can be sure of. And so, so uh, that's, that's what I'm really wanting to speak to specifically about today. Also, what I love about this passage is that it tells us a lot about how Paul did ministry. How did he uh, conduct himself? How did he conduct his relationships? How did he see himself as relating to the church as a whole? Uh, not in saying this is how it should be or this is... This is you know, like speaking it out as teaching about church, but just as being uh, and, and relating how he does things, we can, we can see some things about, about how, Paul, how Paul does things. Um, we look at how he went about preaching this gospel of grace, who he did it with. So God's people and God's process in the life of Paul. And so just as a bit of a reminder, God, Paul seems to be writing in response to uh, some teachers who were kind of coming behind him, you know, and coming in and, and trying to, to teach uh, at the Galatian church, in a sense, trying to say that he hadn't given them the whole gospel, uh, that the gospel he was giving them was kind of secondhand and a bit second rate, and, uh, and he hadn't given it all to them. And, and so 
he's trying to, um, so yeah, they, it was, they were accusing Paul of having given them a gospel that was secondhand and second rate. And uh, basically trying to say that Paul had kind of heard the secondhand thing from the gospel, uh, from the apostles and watered it down. Um, when actually you really do need to fulfill the Torah and you really do need to kind of go through the Jewish door before you can go through the Christian door. And, uh, and so this was what the, these uh, teachers were coming and saying. And this is Paul's response to that. And you can see he's passionate about the gospel of grace. You can see the, the tone of this letter is very urgent and it's very direct. And so we'll see that coming through here. So he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So after three years, uh, it seems from the context that that's three years after his Damascus Road experience where he, he comes to know Jesus. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. And what I like about this is it gives some clues as to what's coming. Paul's quite confident in his revelation, okay? But, but he loves the church more than he loves being right. And so he goes to check in with the apostles. So just, just to make sure, this gospel, that this revelation, because this bit that we looked at just before is about how he says, I didn't get this from any man. I got this from Jesus. But I checked in with Peter. So it's both and. It's not one or the other. I've got this revelation and I'm running with it. No matter what, everybody can just duck. And he's not saying, well, I'm not so sure. Maybe I didn't hear right. And, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh. No, he's got a confidence in his revelation, but he also has an incredible confidence in the apostles, the people who, who walked with Jesus and saying, what is it? Uh, am I on the right track here? And we'll see where he says that I wasn't, to check that I wasn't running in, uh, in vain. Uh, and what had happened just after his Tarsus experiences, he'd been preaching and the believers there actually, I mean, after his Damascus experience, the believers actually uh, sent him back to Tarsus, his hometown, uh, because the Jews were trying to kill him. There was a lot of stuff going on. And I think also, I th maybe it's me reading between the lines, but the people in the church there, it was very fresh and very raw that uh, he had just uh, months earlier been been the cause of the death of close relatives, people in their, fam in their church community. Uh, and so now here's this guy preaching and, and you could probably, there was probably a bit of, we're not so sure about this quite yet because you'll see a bit later he says, uh, these people who didn't know me personally, um, he, was, he was able to have greater freedom with them. But that's besi slightly besides the point. But he had gone back to Tarsus. And so three years after that, he goes back to Jerusalem to check in with Peter. Then he says, then I went to uh, Syria and Cilicia. These are also around the area of Tarsus. Um, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Because of me. So there wasn't quite that, uh, that uh, raw tenderness of where he had, uh, where he had um, been before. That active memory. And... I appreciate that, that Paul was okay with that. <laughs> he said, I, I acknowledge that this is, this is a challenge, and, and you'll see he had some time to prove himself. Um, gives them some space. Then my favorite verse. Then after 14 years. 
then after 14 years. Who's, who's ever seen that bit? Then after 14 years. I missed it for so long. <laughs> then after 14 years. I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I will get back to the 14 years, don't worry. I took Titus along also. Now, Titus wasn't a, a, of Jewish descent. And he says, I went in response to a revelation. Uh, and uh, I suspect this could be the revelation in Acts 27. There's a guy called Agabus who has a, a prophetic word about a, um, a famine that's coming. And so uh, that, uh, that was partly why. Because at the end of this uh, scripture, this section, it says, uh, we, um, but the thing that they said is to remember the poor, which is exactly what we were eager to do. And so that would be something quite relevant in a famine. And Acts also mentions that um, uh, Paul and Barnabas, I think then at that stage in Acts, he's referred to as Saul, uh, took an offering to the church in Jerusalem. So I'm giving myself away, but I tend to kind of see this journey as, as that one. But anyway, but he's talking now, he's talking about in the past, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And so in, also in going back to Acts 10 and 11, the church in Jerusalem had been scattered. The believers uh, from the church in Jerusalem had started preaching uh, to the Gentiles, um, and the Gentiles, or non-Jews, basically, uh, had received the Holy Spirit, um, and they had been baptized, and so uh, that was also around the time that Peter had that vision of a whole lot of a sheet and a whole lot of foods that he would have considered unclean as a Jewish man, and God saying, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And so that uh, was a revelation to him of, uh, of that the gospel was actually for the Gentiles, and so then he was able to minister to Cornelius, I think it was. Um, and so it was at that stage. Now, now Paul has been in Tarsus for all of these years. So he gets, he gets saved, and then three years later, he goes to Jerusalem. But he's, from what we can see, he's in Tarsus for most of these 14 years, serving faithfully, doing the thing that he does, and then Barnabas goes and fetches him in Tarsus. Paul's hometown finds him and brings him to Antioch to go and preach there because that was where the church was growing, where the, the Gentiles were getting saved. And the Acts tells us that they were there for a year, preaching and teaching in Antioch. And what's interesting, in Scripture, you often see the, the order of names is often the order of precedence. And for this section of your Scripture, you see Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then later, the next verse and next chapter in Acts, it says, Saul, who was called Paul, and then from there it talks about Paul, and then sometimes starts going Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And so, and they did have a bit of a fallout at some stage, but, but that precedence, we can see that actually Barnabas in the situation is mentoring Paul. He's the one who's gone to fetch Paul and bring him into the situ situation saying, I can see there's something going on here. Let's, let's bring you into this where, where there's been some, some sensitivity. Let's bring you into this place where we can, where we can do what, what needs to be done. And then uh, they, um, they go to Jerusalem, and on return from Jerusalem, the elders in the church at Antioch, in response to a word from the Holy Spirit, so again, a prophetic word comes, in response to that word, the, uh, the elders lay hands on Barnabas, and still called Saul at that stage, Paul, and set them apart for the work that God had called them to do. 
um, and it was from there that, what they, that they left on what's called Paul's first missionary journey. So we have the salvation experience. So some people say the 14 years is from the salvation experience, not from the three years, 14 years, 17 years, whatever the case may be. It's still a blooming long time. Um, he, uh, and then we have his first missionary journey. So the things that we kind of know Paul for happen after this 14 years. And I think when we just read it, it seems a bit like Jesus' ministry, you know, where, where you know, he's growing, and then all of a sudden he collects his disciples, three years, all done, crucified, it is finished, done. And so we kind of get that impression about Paul as well. But, but here we see actually the timeline is, is a bit more stretched than we, than we imagined. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And so this is just his rebuttal to that thing of uh, the, the teachers who had come in and said, you have to be circumcised, you have to go through the Jewish door so that you can go through the, the, the Christian door or the Jesus door. Um, and uh, so this is his rebuttal to that saying, uh, I had this revelation from Jesus, but I also checked with the apostles and I had Titus with me. It's almost like he brought Titus to say, I wonder what they're going to do. <laughs> Are they going to make him get circumcised or not? Like he had proof now. And he said, see, Titus came with me. Nobody compelled him to be circumcised. What I've been telling you is true. You don't have to abide by the outward marks of the law. You do not have to be Torah keepers in order to be counted as Christians. I'm not sure how you spy on whether someone was circumcised or not, but that's besides the point. Sorry. <laughs> we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. This is a man who is passionate about the gospel, and he is firm and clear. As for those who were held in high esteem... Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. And what, what really interests me here is that Paul is really setting himself uh, on equal footing with the apostles. He's saying they're not somehow more special than, than me. They added nothing to my message. They didn't add the law. Because that was the problem that they'd had in Galatia, was that the people had come and added the law and said, no, you've got to do all of this, when Paul had said, this, that's no longer necessary. Uh, and so he said, they added nothing to my message. I even took Titus, and he came out unscathed. That's okay. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And so the word of circumcision, uncircumcision, is just used to talk about Jews and non-Jews. Uh, it's not... Um, so it was just talking about that, the, the outward marker of the, of the covenant. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So that's really quite an incredible statement of, of, uh, of equality with the apostles there, where he's actually saying, I truly am an apostle. God is, God's power is at work in Peter. God's power is at work in me. God has called Peter to the circumcised. God has called me to the uncircumcised. And so uh, he's, he's really establishing himself as an apostle here, which is quite important. 
um, James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, and those esteemed as pillars. Sorry, I haven't been keeping up with you on my side here. And those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Okay, so that's, that's the chunk of scripture that we're looking at today. And I feel like I've got some, some really uh, well, things that I found really uh, interesting and inspiring from this. So I'm, I'm quite excited to, to share them with you a little bit more than what I've done already. And I think what's important is that this is right at the beginning of a letter. You can see there's a real urgency, but he's putting this in there. And it feels like a bit of housekeeping. You know, why does he start talking about himself and telling us all of these things? But I think it's important because it's really laying down the authority that he has to, to write this letter. What is it that gives him the authority? He has revelation from God, and he has the right hand of fellowship from the apostles. And so he's establishing his authority. And so I think it really lays uh, part of the groundwork and the foundation for the, for the rest of the book. All right. So let's talk about God's people. God's people and God's process. Paul loved God's people more than he loved being right. He was confident in his revelation, but humble enough to check in and say, I, I wanted to make sure that I had not been running my race in vain, that I am not and I had not been running my race in vain for 14 years, that he hadn't been running his race in vain. Um, and I think that's a good lesson for us. So often, you know, people say, I have this revelation from Jesus. And then it's that, that truth at the expense of all other truths. And uh, that's often you hear, you know, I, my word that I say, everyone must just duck. <laughs> Here we come. This is the one truth. Everything else must uh, be put aside. And, and I love how Paul brings both of them. You can see he's finding this balance between I'm absolutely confident in this thing that God has given me, but I'm also absolutely confident in the revelation of the apostle, apostles. And, and the, 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 he's also his love for the church and that he's not wanting to bring schism in the church. He's not wanting to bring that, that separation that was, that was quite a big threat at that stage um, and wanting to really show how this was a gospel for all nations. And then later... The, the next section where it says that, um, and then he, because he says here, he went in private to the leaders and checked with them that the gospel that he had been preaching was correct. And then in the next chapter, uh, he says, uh, when the next little section, he says, I confronted Cephas in public because they'd agreed in private. And now um, Peter, Cephas, wasn't, uh, wasn't acting in a way consistent with, consistent with what they'd agreed on. And then he was, he was even able, even had the confidence to confront Peter uh, in his um, in his behavior, but that's next week. Also, what I love about this is that Peter, his pedigree was not maybe the right pedigree to be preaching to the Jews. He wasn't, uh, you know, one knowledgeable in the law. Uh, he, we don't even know if he was literate. Maybe was he literate? I think he could have been. Did he write the letters? I'll have to check, sorry. But, uh, but whereas Paul's pedigree, if there was ever anybody, anybody who had a pedigree for preaching to the Jews, it was Paul. 
you know, where he says, I'd overtaken those my own age and my zeal and all of those kinds of things. He really had the pedigree. If there was somebody who was going to go and really reach them on their level, it would have been Paul. But God said, no. <laughs> Let's take you to the Gentiles. Um, and maybe that was a really good lesson that all of Paul's pedigree meant nothing, actually, um, to Paul, where he says, I, all of these things, I count them as nothing. They, they, it's actually the grace of God. And so it was a lesson for Paul and the people that he spoke to. And where Peter, also not, not the most wonderful pedigree, uh, then he's the one preaching to the Jews, heading up the church in Jerusalem. I love how God does that. Uh, not the most obvious candidates, but God does, uh, does wonderful things. And what I also like is how they were very happy with how they were called to different places. And I've had experiences with people in the past where they feel called to a particular people group and almost get upset with anybody who doesn't feel as passionate as they do about that particular people group and almost become judgmental that other people are not as passionate as they are about that particular people group. Uh, and And... I feel like this interaction here between Paul and Peter is, is them saying, actually, God has called us to different places. Wonderful. That's great. More people can be reached, and that's absolutely fine. And so I think that's a real lesson for us to, to acknowledge where we're called to and not feel less than if I, you know, if I don't feel called to something where someone else is, is working and, and to support people in the callings that they have. Uh, and I love that scripture in Ephesians where it says, you know, we, we there to do the work that God has given us to do. I'm really paraphrasing heavily somewhere in uh, 2 verse 10, I think it is, um, that without comparing, just do what God has called you to do. Without comparing, get on with it and just do it. (laughs) I also like how um, uh, the other thing about God's people is that Paul always acknowledges the team. You see in the the rest of his writings later on, Titus and Timothy and Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and Nymphus and Epaphras and, and uh, Rufus and Prochorus and this whole stack of guys that, and ladies, and ladies, um, that Paul acknowledges in his letters. He's always building a team. He's always gathering a group of people to pass on the message, to, to carry on. He knows he's just one person. He's always gathering, always gathering, always mentoring. But what we see initially is that he was mentored by Barnabas and then released into that. And uh, later becomes a mentor to many. Um, He's always working in and through communities. His letters are written to communities, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, or to individuals to help them in their communities. (laughs) I mean, the whole book of Timothy is him writing to Timothy saying, about this community, this is what I need you to do. This is how you can work in that community. Um, my son, Zach, if you tell him about something, he says, that's not even a thing, mom. <laughs> it's one of it. That's not even a thing, mom. He's six. That's not even a thing. Uh, and so um, the, in Paul's mind, the community-less believer is not even a thing. <laughs> it's just everything that he does is engaging with and building groups of people communities that are working together for the gospel. It's just not even a thing. And then God's process. After 14 years. After 14 years. 
for that 14 years, faithfully going through scripture, checking, seeing, kind of gaining a foundation for that revelation. So he has this Damascus Road experience. He meets Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he has to reread everything in the light of Jesus. And, and that's, that's what I imagine he was, he was largely doing during that time, is, is, is working through all of this, really just building into this foundation, solidifying this foundation, and being faithful where he was. Being faithful where he was, teaching, doing what, doing what God had called him to do there until Barnabas comes to fetch him and gets him to, to help at, uh, at Antioch. And then at Antioch, again, it's not Paul going off on a mission on his own, on his own steam, on his own pluck, just saying, I'm heading out. In the context, Holy Spirit prophecy comes. A group of leaders, the elders, they lay hands on him and they set them apart for the work that God has called them to do. There's something powerful about uh, a godly leadership structure. There's something powerful about godly prophecy that we start to see, and you'll see in this map over here, we see the influence that, uh, that um, Paul, uh, Paul gains. So I'm going to look on this side. So this is Jerusalem over here, and this is Tarsus. Let me just check that I'm getting it right on my side here because I don't want to lead you astray. Yes, Tarsus just over here. There's Tarsus in Jerusalem. And uh, so this is not so far. And then uh, his first missionary journey, he does this, this little circuit over here. Second missionary journey over here. Third missionary journey is a bit longer and, and comes back. And then the fourth, the fourth journey is uh, when he's heading to, to Rome. And so it's this ever-increasing circle of influence that, that happens after this moment at Antioch. So before Antioch, this was his circle of influence. After Antioch, increase, 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 and increase. And so often we see people heading off on their own pluck, going off and doing what they, what they think God has called them to do. But I just want to remind us that it never happens outside of the context of a team. It never happens outside of the context of a community. Nothing sustainable happens outside of the context of community. Nothing sustainable happens outside the context of community. And I think some of the challenges that we see in the wider church today is that there's a Christian celebrity culture and, and there isn't enough of a Christian community culture around these celebrity, celebrity Christians. Uh, and there's, there's the celebrity without the accountability. So we have Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and not the one name, the group of names together and that acknowledgement within the thing. That's a whole other story. It's just a thought. Uh, I think it's so important that we keep remembering everything is done in a community, and it's hard. <laughs> Doing things in community is hard. People have opinions, man. <laughs> but that's what gives us strength. There we see already Paul, you know, Paul checking in with Peter. Is this what we agreed on? And then Peter goes and does something else, and he says, that's not what we agreed Let's, let's bring it together. Let's not cause division. Let's, let's uh, be consistent in this message. Paul is really, really passionate about being consistent in this message. So sometimes you're on the team, and sometimes you're the leader building the team. Often you're both. 
and different, different situations. And it's so important when you're gathering a team to gather a team. <laughs> that uh, I know at work, for example, I'm, I'm having to gather a team around me so that I can hand over. We call it business continuity. Uh, and we need that gospel continuity. Uh, we need that to, to we gather teams around us, hand over what God has given to us, get people to, to keep running, that handing over the baton uh, to, to keep the gospel going and not, and not to lose that continuity, continuity of this incredible gospel of grace that we have. Uh, and sometimes you're serving on a team. Sometimes uh, you're on Paul's team, uh, supporting him, teaching, and often that's really practical. And so as, we, as we're moving up the hill, there's incredible things happening in the spiritual realm, and we're advancing, and we're taking territory, but somebody's there to lock up at the end and set up the music stuff and do all of those things. And what I love about the book of Acts and this bit of uh, Galatians is that we see the practicality underneath the spiritual stuff, uh, that what supports that, that spiritual growth, what supports that ongoing thing is a lot of practicality, a lot of human relationships, a lot of seemingly very unspiritual stuff, but actually it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. When we start to see that actually this is what makes it happen, um, you know, somebody had to get a horse or a donkey so that Paul could get from one place to another, you know, and donkeys do what donkeys do on the way. Like there's, there's a lot of real human life here. And that's one thing I love about the gospel is that, is that it's so human but so sacred and godly at the same time. There's this incredible marriage of these things that, that, that go forth uh, to, to bring the gospel to many, many nations. And so he was passionate about depending of the, defending the gospel of grace, but he didn't have a martyr mentality. I know also you get some people who uh, they feel like the, the more people disagree with them, the more, the more, uh, the more uh, true they must be. <laughs> um, that, uh, that, you know, if, if somebody's disagreeing with them, then all of a sudden they're being persecuted. <laughs> and really, Paul didn't, didn't have this. Uh, he was able to just rest in his confidence and gather a group around him and just move forward in what God had called them to do. And then my last point is that they found points of agreement. They found points of agreement. So you look all the way to the end, and, uh, and he says, the one thing they said is for us to remember the poor, the very thing we had been eager to do. And so, yes, we're going in different directions, but there's, there's so much that they agree on. They agree on this gospel of grace. They agree on the importance of the poor. And in those days, that would have been uh, possibly as a result of the famine. And, uh, and also, the disempowered, those who are the weakest and the most vulnerable, look after them. And they could agree on that. And I think that's so important for us, is to, is to always first start with what we agree on before we, we turn to what we disagree on. So often, you know, it's the disagreements that get us all worked up and we want to say, but you said this and Let's start with what we agree, with, agree on. And then we can work out the disagreements. When we, and often you start to realize that the bits you disagree on are not, probably not as big as you thought they were, uh, just in terms of, of our relationships as a community. Um, focus on, on the things that we agree on. And that is this incredible gospel of grace that has set so many of us free in so many ways uh, and that um, Paul uh, spent a lot of time and effort uh, communicating and, uh, and writing. I'm grateful uh, that he wrote all of these letters that we could read them now. Amen. <laughs>